Hi everyone, I'm Phil Hadfield and this is the Chronic Comeback Podcast. This podcast was shared by me to provide a place for some much needed positivity and inspiration within the chronic health space. Things that I realised through my own journey are not easy to find. Every week I'll be speaking to inspirational chronic health recoverers and practitioners and proving that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Before we get into today's episode, if you do enjoy this podcast, then please like it, follow it, and share it so that others can enjoy it too. Welcome to another episode of the Chronic Comeback Podcast. Today, I'm really happy and excited to have on the show Nicola Ackman. Nicola, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I was just saying uh, to Nicola before we started recording, I need to start like taking a bit more care in terms of like dressing up for these episodes. I'm in some kind of like weird cabin and then having like a, a baseball cap and a, and a vest on. But, uh, but yeah, so you've got, you've got a nice background. You, you know, you're dressing up nicely. <laughs> so you put me to shame. So, um, <laughs> it's very rare. It's very rare. So, you know, <laughs> um, Cool. I've looked into your story. Uh, I'd love to, yeah, go back before kind of anything started to happen with your health, really, and understand mm-hmm. a little bit more about what life was like for you before then. Or, you know, had you always had stuff going on with your health, you know, growing up? Were, were you a healthy person? Yeah, sure. So I, I never had like serious health sort of struggles when I was younger or anything but I was always so I've got two sisters I was always the sick if one of us was going to be sick it was always going to be me or you know on family holidays or whatever I was always the one where we would go and need to find a pharmacy you know get the ear infection from the swimming pool or you know heat rash or whatever it is so so yeah there's nothing you know, serious, thankfully. But yeah, I was always the one that if it's going to happen to one of us, it would, it would happen to me. But yeah, there was, there was nothing too big. And we were always, you know, our, our mum. And actually at the time it was a nightmare, but I love her for this. She was very, could never get a day off sick from school, like ever with her. It was always go in, try, see how you feel, see how you get on. You know, she'd much prefer that we got sent home sick rather than took a day off sick so yeah it was always quite you know just get on with it and and off you go so so yeah nothing nothing massively serious just all those little niggles really I was that one <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of I don't, I don't know that's like a British thing just to like push through it and yeah I think it's on the school then if you get sent uh uh you know I'm not being a bad parent if I'm just keeping you at home uh, yeah exactly that's actually thinking about it Parents probably just don't even want their kid at home. They're like, oh, my God, get away from me for the day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I imagine that's what it was, really. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, at what age or like what stage of your life were you when, yeah, you start to notice things about your health and what were those things? And maybe if you could take us through the beginning part of that story. Yeah, so it was probably in my early 20s I started to notice little things which I described them more as like niggles, really. At the time, I didn't really piece them together. You know, it was things like getting like pins and needles or I'd get, you know, some like a burning sensation almost on like the top of my foot. Um, So it's kind of like little weird things like that. And I do remember there was one occasion when I was, 
I was doing the food shopping with my boyfriend at the time and I was pushing the trolley around and I kind of got a little bit, I felt really kind of spaced out. And I do remember thinking to myself at the time, is this what normal, does everybody else feel like this? Does everybody else get these things? And I remember thinking to myself like, is this normal? I don't know. Um, And yeah, it was all kind of little things like that or, you know, one thing I started getting, which I now know is called um, Lameets, I think it is, which is essentially when I was, I started noticing when I was blow drying my hair, actually, I'd sort of flip my head upside down. And if I pushed my neck down, I'd get like a electric shock sensation kind of down my spine, which I actually quite liked it. I was like, this is, this is like a weird, like nice feeling. Um, But yeah, it was all just little bits like that and nothing which in and of itself was either enough to go to a doctor for, or as I say, I'm very, I'm someone who it takes a lot for me to go to a doctor, probably, you know, as I mentioned with, with my childhood and like, Oh, I'll just get on with it. You know, it was kind of very, just those little niggly things that kind of weren't anything as such. And that, yeah, probably was going on for like a couple of years. And then I went blind in my right eye which is what started it all. So um, I'd broken up with the aforementioned boyfriend and we we had to live together for a month um, whilst we were broken up. And it was the day I was moving out and I'd woken up and I just completely had absolutely no vision in my right eye whatsoever. It was completely just grey. But I... I just ignored it. So I'm one of these people, I thought... I don't really get stressed as in when I get stressed, I get ill. That's how it manifests with me. I'll get like cold sores or I'll come down with colds or, you know, whatever it is, get migraines, those types of things. So I just thought, oh, it's it's that, you know, we've had like a stressful month living together. Obviously, it's the day I'm moving out and, you know, whatever. And then, yeah, I was blind and then I had like a pain kind of all all around the eye. Um, And my mum was with me helping me move out and we were doing, and I kept having to sit down. I was like, I am so tired. I was like, I just got to And again, my mum being my mum, she's like, no, come on, you've got a lot to do. Because I'm also, I'm quite a lazy person. So I think she was just thinking, oh, you're just trying to get out of it. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that happened. And that kind of forced my hand, albeit, again, as I say, I'm not wanting to go to the doctor. So it took me four days to go to the doctor. <laughs> because again, I just thought, oh, it must just be stress. It's probably so. So this was the Friday, it was the Friday of the August bank holiday weekend, actually. And I'd for a period before moving into my new house, I was moving back in with my parents for like three weeks. And so I was like, oh, I'm sure it will go. Da, da, da. And then it was the Tuesday. I was going back into work, and I obviously I couldn't drive. Um, so I got the train in, and I called my boss on the way, and I was like, could you come pick me up from the station? I was like, I have not been able to drive in today. And I told him, he was like, okay. And I got to work and everyone was like, why haven't you been to the doctor? I was like, I'm fine. I'm sure it's just stress. I'm sure it's just, you know, it will pass. And because I had a headache, I thought, oh, it's probably just, you know, sort of migraine kind of thing, which obviously I now know was the pain of the optic neuritis. But yeah, they made me go to the doctors. So they were like, book a doctor's appointment, um, which I had. So I managed to get one for four o'clock that afternoon. And one of the girls I work with had to obviously take me because I didn't have my car. And I went to the doctor's and she asked me, she's like, are you, are you always like this? And I was like, what do you mean? She said, you don't seem very worried. I was like, should I be? Like immediately then I thought, 
this is not what a doctor should be saying to you. And yeah, I was like, should I be worried? And she was like, I hope not, but I do need you to go to the hospital right now. And I have phoned them and I have told them that you're coming. Um, so yeah, my friend who, who gave me a lift, she was waiting for me and I was like, um, I need you to take me to the hospital. She's like, you're right. I was like, I think I might be dying. So at this point, I'd assumed, and I think the doctor probably thought I had like a brain tumor or something. Uh, But anyway, so I went to, I had to go to eye casualty. Now, my one thing I can't deal with is eyes as well. It was just, I just, oh, and had to have the test. And even there, I think they didn't, I think they didn't understand that I was completely blind. It's not like, you know, if you need glasses and you take it off and you can't really see, but you can tell that there's stuff there, but you just couldn't read. So, you know, I had to, had to read the, all the letters, you know, on the board. She was like, what's that? What letters can you see? I was like, I can't see any. She was like, none at all. I was like, no, I can't, I can't see the board. She's like, what do you, I went, I can't see you. I just lost it. I was like, I don't understand how to make it clear to you. I was like, it's pure gray. It's just gray. Both both eyes now. Just my right eye. Just my right eye. So, um, yeah. So anyway, I ended up having tests and then they're like, I need you to come back tomorrow. Um, We think you've got inflammation of the optic nerve. So I was like, okay, fine. So anyway, I went home and as I mentioned, I I was staying with my parents briefly at this time so then obviously as you do you google inflammation of the optic nerve and then the first thing that came up was ms and then all the symptoms of ms like the pins and needles the the lameets the kind of um electric shock down his spine there's like kind of burning sensations the fatigue all these things and i was like ah right so I remember going downstairs and I went to my mum and I was like, I think I've got MS. And, you know, she was very like, no, she thought it was one of those things, you know, you Google it and it's like, you've got two minutes to live. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she's like, no, 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 don't be silly, don't be silly. And then she told me later that night, because obviously I told her about all those other things as well. She herself Googled it. And, yeah, then was like, she's she's got MS. Um so yeah, I'd kind of knew from that day um that I had it, but then obviously had to start going through all the kind of diagnostic stuff like the scans, advoke potentials tests, lumbar punctures, all those types of things. So yeah, it took four months and then yeah, four days before Christmas, uh got diagnosed with MS at the age of twenty five. So Wow. Yeah. Um that was fun. So did you because I, I actually ended up having I had like test for ms throughout my whole testing process and back and forth different doctors and i remember doing uh i had like brain scan and i did a vote potential so that that rings a bell but yeah i didn't go as far as the lumbar uh, oh yeah yeah because i think that sounds brutal um what was it the did they find something like because it sounds like they did quite a lot of tests so did they not find anything initially no, so they did, they, so it was actually the lumbar puncture came after I was diagnosed, ironically, because, um, so my actual diagnosis was horrendous. The consultant was just hideous. He left in the middle of it to take a personal call, literally it was like, all right, babe. Uh, and I was sat there and he'd left like my scans on the screen. He was sat in his chair, he was like leaning back and he was flicking through the scans and he was like, yes, yeah, so as you could see. Um, 
and there was there was two medical students in there and he'd like left and he'd he'd left it on a scan like that was kind of of my brain that way and I I just felt really awkward for these poor people and I was just like all I could do was I just said does my nose look big in that picture and they were like laughing a bit and I was just like oh god so yeah so then he came back and he was like so yeah you've 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 got a mess um there's lots I could tell you but I don't have time so I'll get you to have a lumbar puncture because doctor can't even remember what his his name was doctor so-and-so likes that's his word he likes lumbar punctures um so yeah so I actually had a lumbar puncture about six weeks after I was diagnosed I then got a letter through asking if they could use it for research purposes. So I now know why they asked for the lumbar puncture. But yeah, so I think it was the two tests mainly were the evoke potentials test and, um, the scan. And yeah, the scan itself was, yeah, fairly conclusive seeing all the kind of lesions and things. But yeah, it just, it took, I mean, I guess four months really isn't, isn't that long in the grand scheme of things, but at the time it oh. felt, especially because I, I knew at that point and it's trying to get someone to go, can we just wrap this up? Cause then obviously then you can start treatment and all these things. And yeah, it was just hideous. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Like four, four months is a fucking long time when you're going through that. Like I, so I actually had private healthcare at the time. So with my work, so I just kind of like, hammered that as much as I could mm. I was able to get through it really good I'm assuming it's, it sounds like you're on the NHS were you? yes yeah I mean for those of you who are not from the UK uh, NHS is amazing if you're about to die uh for stuff like this it's really pot luck as to whether you get someone who's got like a, a good bedside manner and actually cares uh mm. and actually that's kind of unfair and is not maybe overrun because I think the NHS just kind of pushes people to their limits and so, yeah, just I, I, unfortunate thing about doing this podcast is just like hearing stories where the initial handling of someone's diagnosis or like the care that they have can just have such an impact on their like mental. Mm. I have to say, you sound like you have like an unbelievable mentality, like better than <laughs> me. I was at, I, I, so I had these crazy symptoms that kicked off all over a week and I had issues with my vision, all kinds of stuff. And I was freaking out and I, I had to go, I went straight to a doctor. I was like, you know, not like you, it was just like, ah, I'll be fine. So I think that's quite rare, actually, that you like, you weren't, I don't know. It sounds like, yeah, if anything, you had, I was going to say a healthy, uh, a healthy attitude towards it, but maybe you, it's too far the other way. Too far, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah I get that from my mum and and from my mum's mum. Actually, it's very don't make a fuss. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. My mum's my mum's like that. But then I always think, well, what's going on inside? Like, is she actually freaking out? Uh, anyway, sorry. Once you got the diagnosis, and once you actually, I guess, you know, did your Google diagnosis, which doesn't tend to be correct. So it's pretty crazy. It was correct. Were you? Yeah, did, did your emotions and everything start to change then? Like, how did you deal with it? Yes. Yeah, so it was really weird. I think initially, I think because of the way... So my mum was with me when I got the diagnosis and we both left and it was one of those kind of... Did, did that just happen? Even though the diagnosis itself wasn't a shock... The way it was delivered was a shock. You know, I think you get these visions that someone's going to sit you down and like hold your hand and be like, it's okay. You know, but yeah, it was literally like, yeah, you got this. There's lots I could tell you, but I don't have time. 
um, off you go. So yeah, so that very initial bit was, it was like a weird, a weird time. And I think that then caused almost like a bit of a delayed reaction for me. I was kind of in, as I say, the, the diagnosis wasn't shock, but the way it was delivered, and then also when it becomes real. So as much as I knew, there's something about having a medical profession be like, mm-hmm, yeah. this is this is happening now. So yeah, so then, then it, yeah, I really, really, really struggled with with my mental health after that point for for a period. It was very, um, I was like, I just, I just don't want to live like that. If that's my life now, I don't want that to be my life and I did I remember getting to like quite a bad um place and yeah I ended up going to the doctor because I called a friend because I remember I was I was in the bath and I remember thinking to myself I was like just put your head and just just stay under there just stay just stay and it will all be over just stay and it was quite dark and then I was like this isn't right so I called a friend she took me to the doctor's and again, I walked in. Oh, I just couldn't speak. I burst into tears. I was like, you go. And she was like, um, Nicholas, struggling at the moment. And yes, then I had some like, um, got referred to like CBT, uh, kind of treatments, which it, it didn't really, I was trying to explain this to them at the time. It didn't really help me because, you know, it was obviously targeted at, at depression, which depression has that there's no real, reason you know you could have seemingly have everything and have depression so obviously the the treatment is very much targeted at that whereas I was like I've got a specific thing that I'm dealing with I'm not I mean I don't even know if it would necessarily be called depression so whilst I had those negative feelings it was as a direct impact of of how of the treatment and to me it was a very logical thing it was like I just I don't want my life to be like that and therefore if that's what it is then I just don't want to live anymore um and you know that was kind of quite a difficult period I had to get through and then I ended up getting to a very 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 dark place where literally I remember I was just crying in bed and I was just like just you know like I was like I just wanted to not wake up um you know as I almost I don't want to do anything but I just don't want to wake up um and then I think I'd got to that that was almost like rock bottom and then I was like, okay, no, I can't, I need to, I need to pull myself out of this. So yeah, it took me about two years to come to terms with it. Um, it's probably the right words. Yeah. So that was a very difficult, difficult time kind of, yeah, getting my head around it and almost resetting and being like, okay, this is, this is my life now. Um, but yeah, really, really tough for probably about two years. What were your, I've got a few questions around this, this stuff. What were your symptoms like then? Like, did your, did your eye issues clear up? Yeah. So the eye, I ended up getting put on really high dose steroids for, for the eye. So that resolved itself within about three weeks. I started to get my vision back from, from that. Biggest thing I really, really struggled with was fatigue practically every day. I'd struggle with walking quite a bit and then. Yeah. So my first treatment that I got put on was, was something called Capaxone, which is a daily injection. So I had to kind of learn how to inject myself and I had to do that. And then I'd, I'd get reactions, sight reactions from where I'd injected every day. So then I was dealing with that and 
yeah, kind of very much fatigued, sometimes struggling with walking or even just feeling unsure of, you know, almost wanting to hold on to something when I'm walking. But, you know, I think a lot of that as well is probably now kind of reflecting on it was my mental state was probably compounding how that was manifesting for me, which, yeah, is is a really difficult thing to kind of come to terms with. I just, yeah, just didn't want to feel like that every day, but it was, every day was a struggle. But yeah, the biggest thing for sure was fatigue. I don't know, like, I feel like, and and excuse me if I say anything that's like, I guess, because I I don't have loads of knowledge like in in this area. So if I say anything that's like wrong, just call me out on it or, or whatever. But like, what I have a problem with kind of, conditions is where they say okay this is how it's going to go you need to take this medication and this is your expectations and it just sets your expectations so clearly that you don't see any other options whereas if they said okay this is the normal route that we do go down um with this this is what you can expect however there are examples like terry walls i'm sure you like you know know about her like just here's an example of someone who was in a wheelchair like told she was never going to walk you know, completely reverse that through or went into remission through diet, through these other things. So this is another option. And just so you know, like, you, you know, your life isn't over. You don't need to think mm. over. And that in itself, just hearing that and hearing those like, okay, not only are there options, there are options which mean I get to live like a healthy, nice life. And it just sounds like that initial like not being there for you with that doctor just really sent you down a spiral, which meant that you felt like you only had that one option and that was just to accept what they told you. I don't know. Does any of that resonate? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's always been positioned to me as almost like a done deal and you just got to make the best of what you've got. And even with, you know, for example, my treatment option, that doctor again, he was like, this one's the cheapest. So off, off you go. So yeah, I've never experienced anyone kind of suggesting to me there's, there's a way, it's almost like live as well as you can with it. Not there is actually the potential to overcome it or to get better or to feel better. It's, it's never been spoken to me like that. And I think, you know, you get. When when you're diagnosed, it's so funny and you tell people and you get like different reactions, you know, you either get someone be like, oh, well, actually, my cousin's neighbor's best friend has MS and oh, my God, they're in a wheelchair, they can't move, they can't talk, they do this. Or you get somebody else that goes, oh, yeah, I know someone who's got it and they're like barely affected. And it's just, it's it's that everyone... I think because no one knows what to say, you know, the amount of times I remember when I got diagnosed in that times people told me I was brave. I'd honestly, I was losing. I was like, if one more person tells me I'm brave. I was like, I'm not brave. I'm not brave. I just, I don't have a choice. I did. It's not brave. It's not like I've gone, hold on guys. I'll take the MS. It's all right. Um, it's, but I think people just don't know. I think people don't know what to say. So that doesn't help. And then, yeah, as I say, from a medical side, it's very like, what can we do to, to suppress or to help you? But it is, uh, yeah, it's, it's a done deal is how it is always been positioned to me. Yeah. I just remember because I, I, 
I mean, you probably know being in the UK, big drinking culture. Like, I would be going out drinking all the time throughout my 20s. And then when I started having health issues, I kind of had to make the decision that I wasn't going to be doing that. I was going to really looking after myself. And the, the number of comments I'd get, and one of my friends in particular would always say, I don't know how you do it. I just couldn't do it. I was like, you would if you felt like I if did. You, have- you fucking yeah. idiot. Yes. Um, and it used to just really piss me off because it was like – you and I knew he was like it, it. It did piss me off, but now looking back, and it was like I would probably say the same thing. And it just comes from like you, you know, you're not knowing. Um, yeah. So it, it is difficult, and I think the sad thing with, particularly with something like MS, I feel like it's um, there is a bit of I don't know, I'm not say a stigma. I think it's just got that. It's maybe got a bit of a reputation that your your life is over. There's no, there's only one way, as, as you said, and therefore that's what everyone is told in the media and stuff. And therefore mm-hmm. it garners a particular reaction when people hear about it, which as the person who's going through it can make that even more difficult. And it just kind of, there's just more of a vicious cycle there. Yeah, completely agree. And I think also part of it, you know, been, I've been reflecting on it is I I think I did is it's very easy to also subscribe to that. You know, I think when you're, you know, I was 25 years old, I'd had basically my life turned upside down. You kind of lose, you're like, oh God. And then you assume this identity of a sick person. And I think that is also a lot of what I used to be is I was like, okay, I'm a sick person now. So that's, that's what it is. And and you get into that mental state yourself as well. So I think it's all of those things together that, you know, and I've only really managed to start turning it around when I was, you know, literally to the point, you know, I'm quite stubborn. I'm quite stubborn. I was like, no, I'm not going to be a sick person. I don't identify with that anymore. And that's, that's how I'm going to start to turn it around and to change it. So I think a lot of it, you know, I don't mean it from a sense of blame, for, for, for people who do it because I see why because yeah when you are diagnosed with a chronic illness it, you do lose your identity and you have to almost reset so it's the easiest identity to kind of absorb is the sick person identity but yeah I think the biggest thing to try and turn that around is to not go down that route and and so let's go back into the story so after two years you had a very dark two years kind of taking a lot of their advice and you kind of alluded to the fact that you there was a change of mindset that was coming up. Yeah. Can you take us through the next part of that story? Yeah. So I'd um I started off on on this this treatment capaxone, which was the daily injections. And I think I was on those for about 18 months and I just got to the point where I was like, I can't do it anymore. Like the stuff that I was injecting was was hurting me. It wasn't actually the needles itself. And I so I was like, I can't do this anymore. So then I went on a different type of treatment which worked relatively well for for quite a while and then I'd got to a point with work where I was um so I was a project manager working on this really big project you know loads of hours loads of stress under understaffed all those types of things and I ended up so with MS generally speaking I think they class it as highly active if you have two relapses in two years I ended up with all the stress of work and everything, I ended up having five relapses in 18 months. Um, and I think probably when I went blind was probably clinically my worst relapse. But my worst relapse for me personally that I experienced was I ended up, I had pins and needles in both my hands for a month, like constant pins and needles. And so if anybody 
when you get pins and needles, if you get pins and needles on your foot, you know, like if you just sat on it for a while and it goes to sleep. And then if you try and stand on your foot when you've got pins and needles, that sensation of putting weight on it is, and that's what I had obviously at a laptop tied whenever I pressed the keys, I would get, and it was just unbearable. And so I spoke to the doctor, I was like, I need to change my treatment. This isn't working. Um, and they wanted to put me on another treatment. And then that's when I went, no, that's not, no, I want to go hard with my treatment. I like, I've, I've had enough. So yeah, so then, then I opted for a treatment called Lemtrada, which is an infusion based treatment that is originally used for leukemia. And then they, they use it different dosage, I think, but for, for MS. So I ended up having that, which is two rounds over two years. And that for me was where I was like, right, you've got to stop this. I think initially my first, again, my first instinct was to stop it from getting worse. So that's when then I started to, um, I dropped my hours at work. I cut a day, um, tried to sort of slowly kind of putting in those boundaries. Cause for me, work was when I felt worse, you know, like trying to drag myself into the office every day again with the fatigue and all those types of things. So yeah, so I had that treatment and that, you know, so far has worked. But then I think the thing for me then it was, it was a couple of years ago now. I was like, it's not enough for me to not get worse. I was like, I want to get better. This this just isn't an option for me. It's just can not I, an option. Can I, can I just ask you, like, so after that trip, you said it kind of worked, but like, to what extent, like, how were you feeling, like, in, in general compared to how you were before, you know, the blindness? Yeah. So in fairness, day to day, I felt no different. So, and that's the thing as well with a lot of the MS treatments or, or all the MS treatments really, or particularly the, um, the DMTs, which are targeting your MS are to stop relapses happening. They don't actually change how you feel day to day. So again, it was, and that's why I say, you know, at the beginning, it was very much like, let's stop it getting worse. So whilst my relapses had stopped and obviously, since then haven't had one but I still felt like a sick person I felt MSE I still had the fatigue you know I still sometimes had days where I was like struggling with walking and things like that and yeah that's when I was like right well that has to stop how how do I get that to stop um so yes then I started studying nutrition did a diploma in culinary medicine and it was through studying that. So obviously I, I implemented sort of dietary changes and things, but it was also kind of the, the realization of how your body's ability to heal itself is amazing if it's given the right conditions and it's supported. So it kind of really energized me to think, actually, I can do this. And from that point, I've kind of thrown absolutely everything at it. So as I say, I've, I've kind of reduced my hours at work. I've managed stress. I've cut people out of my life who, you know, even close relations who, who are having a negative impact on me. I'm so protective of my energy. Um, I, I have Reiki. I go to the gym five times a week. I do my nutrition. I, I literally throw everything at it now um and fortunately for me it's it's worked and yeah probably for for the good couple of years now I have been 
I don't feel like I have it. I had I had a call with my MS nurse a year ago now, last April. So you have <clears throat> every two years see her, and she was like, "So," and I was, "I have nothing. I have nothing to talk to you about. So like, I've got no problem. Nothing at all." I was like, "No." I was like, "I genuinely," I said, "I genuinely do not feel like I have it anymore. I don't struggle with fatigue. I don't. I was like, I've got nothing." Um, it's quite interesting though, because she was like, Oh, so what have you been doing? And I was like, Well, really focusing, you know, on my, on my nutrition on, on this. And she said, Oh, I'll have to tell, um, she's like, I have to tell your consultant. She's like, She doesn't really believe in complementary medicine. I was like, Food is not complementary medicine. I was like, Food is food. Um, but yeah. So, so even then it wasn't, Oh, this is great. You could do this. This is a great example or keep going. It was almost like, a, mm, well, that's a bit of a fluke. Like, don't, you know, don't hold on to that. So yeah. Whereas I, I'm so, so passionate about how food is medicine and can, can really help you. And I'm not anti. Western medicine, obviously, as I say, I've had treatment, but I also think everything needs to play in position. So as I say, that treatment was done to to hopefully stop relapses, but I need to put my body in the best condition it can be to one, help me feel well day to day, but also to give that medication the best possible chance of working and doing what it needs to do. It shouldn't need to have to counteract things. If I can get food to deal with that side of it, then it can just purely focus on what it needs to do. So yeah, for me, that's been the biggest game changer is is the lifestyle stuff. But you, you mentioned like Reiki, going to the gym five times a week. Um, so they're not necessarily like nutrition focused. And because we <laughs> talk a lot on this podcast about where people have done a lot of like brain retraining, like, like nervous system regulation. And um, yeah, I, I've... I've not necessarily, well, I've tried brain retraining. It hasn't really quite worked for me. However, I've done other things like, uh, so I've slowly and now in a big way, I'm like back, built myself up to go back to the gym. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in the way of me doing that and committing to that, one, I've got an unbelievable amount of gratitude, which I imagine you have for being able to do that again. And it's just like, I have a a level of gratitude that no one else who hasn't been through it will be able to understand. And I love the feeling of, you know, when people are like, oh, I can't be bothered to go to the gym. I just never have that, really. Yeah. Just because I'm just like, oh, okay, there is a level of me that was like, maybe I could do with not going. But like, it's just like, I, 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 there was a time when I would have killed to go. And I kind of like trained myself to believe that my body's strong, resilient. Yeah. In itself. And so that's been a big thing for me. And then, then I do stuff like breath work, working on my sleep, just like the yeah. basic things. And so it sounds like all those nutrition, like you've also worked on actually that you might not have heard of it because it's not like, I guess, in the MS side of things, but I don't know, Primal Trust, Dr. Kat King. Um, she talks about having like bringing joy into your life every day. Yeah. Um, and that in itself is like very healing. Um, yeah. And talked about it a lot on the podcast I, I think i'd gone years without aside from like going out and getting drunk and having joy at that point um i'd gone years with just having out having joy in my day like i, I yeah I'd myself be happy it sounds like you've like you're carving out that time for yourself each day absolutely and to me that that's the thing it's absolutely everything i think it is gratitude is a huge thing and and yeah like you say i'm always i mean i do because i'm lazy i do get times where i'm like 
I don't want to go to the gym. But even when I don't want to go, I'm like, I want to go. I just have to psych myself up to go. But they're, they're very few and far between, to be fair. But I do have that click that goes, having the ability to do it is a privilege. Get your ass there. Do something. And, you know, I, I kind of really enjoy it. And I, I do think, yeah, it's about, you know, having an attitude of gratitude. It's about joy. Like to the, I make a conscious effort. You know, it sounds quite woo woo, but you know, if I'm just walking and it's a really sunny, I take a moment. I'm like, I just need to really just stop and appreciate. It's such a lovely sunny day. I'm so lucky. I'm so, you know, and I think you have to, con- like the mind that I would probably actually, I would put the mind above the nutrition. Your mindset is absolutely everything. And it's things like, yeah, finding the gratitude in, in everything, you know, having that optimism, kind of finding, finding joy and realizing that, that you can do it, you know, to the point where I've even got to, to the point where I'm, I feel lucky to have had MS and had my experience because like you say, I don't think anyone, unless you've been in a similar circumstance, I don't think you'll ever get that level of appreciation, which is what I try and share with people to help them get it without needing to get sick is to be honestly, you trust me, you need to find those, that joy in, in everything. You need to value your health, value your ability to move, value whatever. There's, there's always something to be grateful for. And it's something I'm very, you know, it's a lot more automatic now, but while I was going through that journey, I had to be really quite conscious of it. I'd almost have like an internal dialogue with myself to kind of, I remember one day, actually, I was working from home and I was trying to make, I made myself a cup of tea and I'd realized that I'd I'd run out of milk. And, you know, obviously first instinct was like, not got any milk. But then I was like, take a beat. And I was like, actually, number one, I can drink black tea. I'm, I'm all right, you know, I prefer milk, but I can drink it. So be grateful for that. Two, I, after I've had this tea, I'll just nip to the shops and get stuff. So I'm one, I'm grateful that I can just nip to the shops. You know, I was like, I'm grateful that I don't need to think, oh shit, can I afford to buy milk? That, that, you know, there's, I literally stop myself whenever anything happens and I think of all the things that you can be grateful for. And I was like, I'm grateful. Yeah, I can, I can drink it. I've got this. I've got, I'm sat in a, in a home, in a warm house and all these things. And when you start to do that, they all flood in. Yeah. Um, and that for me is key. And, and I think is the biggest driver in what will make you start to heal and to feel better is, is it, it's all in the mind. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. And I, I just wonder, and again, I'm saying stuff that probably might annoy people and might annoy you actually. So, uh, excuse me if I say, but like they talk about with chronic pain, um, a lot because I've had it shit out of chronic pain a lot of injuries a lot of stuff whether you you'll do like they'll they have people and they'll do like a scan of their like spine and it'll show that it's like completely out of whack uh there's like a massive injury there but they don't have any pain there's zero symptoms mm. and they they're totally fine but structurally there's something not right there and i just wonder like with something like ms when you, you know you can see legions on on a scan yeah but does that have to affect you on a day-to-day basis? Like if you've got everything else in, in check, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? And yeah, I'm, yeah. There's something similar to that, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, pain, 
obviously is subjective, but there is, again, it, it comes, it comes to the mind and the mindset of, of how you're able to overcome that. You know, I used to struggle a lot with, with pain and yeah, now, now I don't. And then I think it, it's then it's all the things added together. So it's, it's about having that mindset so you can overcome. So, you know, you go back to the gym and now, I lift weights and I do this. So my body in and of itself is stronger. So therefore I'm less likely to, you know, and then they all compound and then you add them together. You know, I'm, you know, eating well, kind of helping sort of inflammation in my body or whatever it is. And all of the things start to come together. And then that's where you get to that point where you can overcome whatever, you know, may or may not be happening kind of inside from a scan perspective you know I haven't had a scan now for over five years so I don't know what's what's going on there but then I did have when I went to the opticians and I had a scan of of my eyes just part of the eye test and he did say to me because obviously he saw my notes and he was like how long did you say you were blind for I was like three weeks and he was like and you went completely blind and I was like yeah and he went it's amazing. He was like, you have, he's like, there is no evidence. He was like, I would never expect your optic disc to look like, he's like, it shouldn't look like this if you've had that. He was like, but it's perfect. And I was like, see, you can heal yourself. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Um, you know, I'm conscious of time because I'm going to get kicked out of uh, my meeting. <laughs> um, but what, what I would just like, and actually, and I want to point this person towards this episode. I was away quite recently and someone had told me that they're, so when they knew had just been diagnosed with MS and they were freaking out and they were kind of, yeah, probably in the same position you were in. And I just said, oh, cause I've, I have already some stories. I think I've got three MS stories already. Uh, but I was like, go and, go and take a look at those. Like, honestly, just tell her that it's not, it's not the bleak picture that people paint, but. Given that we probably, hopefully, will have that person listening to this, I always ask people, you know, what would be your advice to someone going through that darkest time? You know, the time when you said you reach rock bottom. Mm-hmm. What would be your advice to that person now? Because I, I know there will be loads of people listening to this right now, not necessarily with MS, but with other things. They need some inspiration to move forward. Yeah, I think it would be that. Yeah, you have to trust in your ability to get yourself better and like you say it's not you know the likelihood is a lot of people if they're if they're living well then they're not going to be posting on the forums or sharing all these things so so you know know that that is skewed but I think yeah it's just have the optimism that that you you can feel well again this isn't it and no Know the power that you hold within yourself to feel better and to feel well. And I think that that goes, you know, whether you've got a chronic illness or not, anybody out there, the power you have within you to be able to feel your best every single day is is exceptional. You just need to unleash it and actually use this as, you know, if you've got a diagnosis, use it as a springboard and that that, that thing that's going to make you want to push forward and unleash that and yes it will it will take time and it is a journey and you know it's not a case of oh just gratitude and I'll find joy and then I'll be okay it's be patient with yourself but know that you can do it 
Awesome. Thank you so much for, for coming on. And uh, yeah, every time when I come and do this, this is like the 120th episode or something like that. Every single time I, I come on, I, I kind of learn something new and get some inspiration myself. So um, yeah, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on and sharing your story, the work you're doing. Yeah, really excited to get this one out. Thank you. Really appreciate it. No problem at all. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Chronic Comeback Podcast. Whether you're listening or watching, please press the follow, like, subscribe button so this can reach more and more people and hopefully get them on their recovery journey too. And come say hey at The Chronic Comeback on Instagram.